Welcome, everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by thehockeythinktank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are bringing on the current head coach of the Binghamton Devils in the American Hockey League AHL, Mark Dennehy. Mark is one of the best guys, one of the best people in the hockey industry. A little bit about his background. He grew up in the Boston area in Dorchester, uh, played his college hockey at BC, and then went on to become uh, an assistant coach at Princeton, had a stop at Fairfield. UMass Amherst before he became the head coach for 13 years at Merrimack College where he built that program into where it is today. He has a ton of respect in all hockey circles uh, and then obviously now being the head coach of an AHL team is a pretty awesome gig. But before we get over to Mark, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Levechkio. Vex, what's going on today? That's how it's going. I already murdered my shake tof. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go, baby. Feeling energetic? Feeling ready to go? I'm all hopped up on coffee and protein. <laughs> <laughs> coffee dehydrates you. That's not that's not good for you. Uh, when you drink a gallon of water every single day, you don't worry about dehydration, son. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, so I was really excited to get Coach Denhe on here. Uh, him and I talk every once in a while. And, and uh, when I talk, or sorry, when he talks, I is one of those people you really listen because you're learning from him every time. And I felt like, again, I always talk about on this podcast, I like to take notes with the people that we're speaking to. And he was one I took a lot of notes on. And uh, so what did you feel? I don't, I don't think you've ever met him before. So how'd you feel the conversation went? No, I haven't met him. But I mean, just I, I remember... Uh elite prospecting him when you told told me that he was coming on and like it's like the longest elite prospect list ever <laughs> like it is so long like it's a, he's coached for so long and you know somebody doing it that long is bound to have just tons of information and tons of experience and anecdotal evidence and things that he's seen so really cool to get into a mind of a guy who's not only coached for a long time but coached at the highest levels for a long time yeah for sure and one of the things too he loves to talk about is how sports is a microcosm for life and how the things that you learn from being in the sports industry and for us in the hockey industry uh it, it really sets you up for better things in life in terms of learning how to handle adversity and be a good teammate and learn how to work hard and things that we believe in and things that we talk about on this podcast. And he was awesome because that's one of the things that he's really, really passionate about. Um, so if you enjoy hearing us talk about it on the podcast, you're going to get a great perspective from a guy that, uh, that has a lot of knowledge and, and has a lot of passion for it. Yeah, we dove into that and we dove into that right towards the end of the podcast too. So I'd definitely say make sure everyone listens to the end because I don't have a kid in the game, right? Like I, I don't. So I, I don't know the struggles. It's I try and put myself in a parent's shoes, but obviously I can't fully because I don't have that investment um, in, in their child and wanting to help them succeed. But a big thing that I think parents need to always remember is like, why did you get your kid starting to play sports? It wasn't so that they'd get a scholarship. When you put your kid in sports at four or five or six, you're not like, well, he's going to get a scholarship because he's really good. 
good. Like you don't even know. You put them in there to learn life lessons, to be part of a team, to learn how to be a leader, how to be a follower, how to be a good teammate, like responsibility, like all these things. And we really dove into that at the end of the podcast. And the coach also talked about it um, incrementally throughout the podcast, but it's everything I believe in and something that I think parents at the highest level, the AAA level, sometimes forget a little bit. So I think it's good to always kind of bring bring it back. Like, why are we in this? If they wind up, quote unquote, not making it or not achieving whatever you want them to achieve or them to achieve, don't forget that they're not a failure. They have learned so much through playing the game of hockey. Like, it's invaluable. And and something else, too, like if you play college hockey or junior hockey, you don't even make it to pro, that's fine. Most people aren't going to. But there are companies that literally headhunt for X Division One, X Division Three athletes, X junior hockey players, because they know that they have these intangibles ingrained in them that they want around their business. So even if they don't quote unquote make it, they're learning so many things that are going to help them later in life. And parents just need to always come back and remember that. I think that's a big point, and and I can attest to that too. Having played and then coached at Cornell, so having access to some people that are pretty pretty high up and some pretty big time companies, and so I've had conversations with those people, and yeah, they want to hire athletes coming out of school, and I think part of the reason why is because being an athlete is hard in college. You're dealing with school. You're dealing with hot. It's two full-time jobs. Plus you got to have a life on top of that. So it's very, very hard. And life is very, very hard. And if you want to work for the top companies, whether it's in your area, in the country, whatever it may be, it's, it's not going to be easy. So they want to, they want to bring people in that already have that, that sandpaper because they've had to deal with some of that tough stuff. They've had to learn how to manage their time. They've had to learn how to go through adversity. They've had to learn how to work with difficult coworkers. Workers, um, and maybe a boss that they don't agree with in, in a coach because coaches at the higher levels are demanding and they demand a lot out of you, which is the same once you get to the top companies. You know, it's, it's not roses. Like those bosses, just like your coaches, are going to be hard on you if you miss stuff or you don't do a very good job. There's an accountability factor. So um, I, that, it's, it's such a big, big, big deal that I think gets lost in it. And I'm really steeped in that right now in terms of building this you know, hockey organization here in Syracuse is because a lot of the talk is a lot of just like what can happen hockey wise for my kid. And it's like, okay, that's important. There's no question that's important, but let's also have this other conversation here where we're going to talk about how this is going to be a vehicle to make your kid develop into a really good human being that can have and live a very good, happy, successful, fulfilling life. Um, as well. So we get into this, we probably shouldn't get into it this that much more here because we talk about it a lot with, with Coach Dennehy, but um, it's huge. Yeah, you know, you just made me think of something. You know how they have those signs at the rink that'll be like, um, you know, parents like don't yell and all this stuff. You know, I think it'd be a really cool sign, especially for you, since now you're running your own AAA organization, um, maybe like on the glass to the door to walk into the rink or a sign right next to the stands before you walk into the stands, like parents, remember your why. Remember why your kids are playing. Remember why they're here. That's a good point. Yeah. Just like so as you're getting up in the stands, you refl- the, that you tell them to reflect, take a second, reflect. Like you're not screaming. So then maybe that'll take – 
I'm not screaming at the ref. I'm not screaming at the coach. I'm not screaming at the kids. I'm here to help my kid become a better person and ultimate and also, you know, help him with hockey. But like mainly first things first, be a good person, teach him all those life lessons. I think that's a pretty good idea. Nice work, Jeff. (laughs) That's actually, I think it's the first section on my parent guidebook that I have is what's your why. Yeah. I love it. Why are you putting your kid into youth sports? I think that's something when you sit back and reflect, like you talked about, that's something that's huge because I think we all get get into it saying, okay, this is going to teach my kid X, Y, and Z. But I mean, everybody who's listening understands the youth hockey culture and how crazy it can be. Sometimes it's easy to, to forget about that. And sometimes it's easy for people that are doing things out of your control that can really question that stuff because they're not doing great things as well. Um, but your why, I, I mean, I think most people would say, and, and I think parents get a bad rap because even we talk about like your kid's not like, don't think about this as your kid getting a scholarship or going to play pro hockey and, and all that. I don't think a vast majority of the parents, that's why they put their kids in hockey. But again, it's easy to, to lose track of that sometimes. Definitely. And again, like, you know, I, I don't have a horse in the race. Like, I'm just trying to help. I'm sure it's very, very, very hard to not get caught up with keeping up with the Joneses and wanting to help your kid. And there's just, I just think that there's a way that you just, can't lose sight of like that initial why and then everything kind of stems from there yeah and i think just in building this organization now and and really digging in doing some research and finding out what the issues are and and things like that i think the biggest thing is i think the people that are the heads of the organizations they have to tell their why they have to explain it they have to put but they also have to put plans and execute on the things that they're saying because the follow-through part of it is way more important than even the idea part of it and the other thing is you have to make sure you're doing that while getting everybody to buy in to being a part of something bigger than yourself. Because I'm sure everybody listening here, a lot of the problems with youth organizations around US and Canada especially is it's every person for themselves. It's every team for themselves. And there's not a real huge organizational philosophy or framework or structure that people can work off of. And I think when you do that and you're very upfront about why you're doing the things that you're doing and the structures that you're putting in place, it, it totally, totally, totally diminishes the amount of, I think, the amount of drama and the amount of just cattiness that happens in youth hockey because people just, they know what to expect. And then when you follow through on that too, there's no like, What's going on? I don't know. We've been promised this. We've been promised that. I don't know what's going on. So just expectations and follow through have to be at the huge, huge forefront for organizations as a whole, for coaches when they're coaching a team. And I think you'll be much better off when you have that. No, man, I, I absolutely, totally agree. And I think like from a coaching standpoint, just from my experience, like there needs to be like we don't have contracts or anything with the organization I work with. And I have been doing it for two, only two years. And I'm like, why don't we have contracts? Like, I don't understand why there's no contracts. Cause then like, again, you're, there's a standard set and now the coaches know. You mean it. like a code of conduct type contract? No, um, I guess. Yeah, that, but I mean like, an, like almost like, all right, if you're going to miss, you're allowed to miss five practices throughout the year. And then after that, you know, like excused absences, basically like our unexcused absences. And then after that, if you miss, we're going to take a little bit of pay from you or we're going to do something just because like, at least with our organization, like some coaches will miss too much, too many practices, I think. And, you know, that's every organization. And I just think that 
there needs to be that set standard. There needs to be like, okay, like you, this is what you're signing up for and you can either do it or you can't. And we want to get someone else. Yeah. And it's, it's just like, it's that way for everything. It's, it should be that way for the players, that way for the parents. When you have a standard set in the beginning, now I know what I'm getting myself into and what I have to live up to. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, uh, I think that's awesome. Again, and you put your expectations on those contracts and then make sure people are following through on it because that's another thing. Like if you're going to, you got to hold people accountable to what you say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, sure. but, uh, Hey man, this is, uh, this is great conversation stuff that we believe in a lot. Um, it's very, very fun doing this organization thing right now and being able to put things in place to, to try and affect this kind of change because there's a lot of change that needs to be made. And, um, on top of that, though, let's get back to Coach Dennehy because this was a fantastic conversation. We obviously talked a lot about uh, sports as a vehicle for teaching life lessons, but we also had some other great stuff. We talked about youth hockey in the Boston area. Uh, we talked about even NCAA uh, paying players or not paying players. That was a part of the conversation. That was interesting to get his thoughts on that. But Coach is one of those people that – so every year you go down to Florida for a college coaches convention. So all the Division One, Division Three club, men, women, everybody's down there. And then you have your, your meetings with just your group, so your Division One men's group where everybody gets in and you talk about issues and stuff. And those are always really funny because it's typically – you know, some of the same people that are talking and it's, 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 it's kind of similar actually to youth hockey where everybody is giving their opinion and pretty much everybody's opinion is what's best for their team. So, but what's best for like a Michigan isn't what's best for a sacred heart and what's best for a Penn state isn't what's best for an Arizona state. So you get, you know, all these people talk, coach Denny, he was one of those people who spoke up a lot, but he's somebody that people actually listen to because I think everybody thought that he had the best interests of of college hockey as a whole at at heart and there's other people that like to speak up in those meetings sometimes that you can just see everybody in the room just being like oh there he goes again it's the same you know it's the same thing and very few things actually ever get changed in those meetings because of all the different opinions <laughs> and everybody wanting what's best for their program which it is what it is I mean that's their job and they got to win and and all that kind of stuff uh, but coach was always always somebody that had a lot of respect from everybody from everybody because his heart was always in the right place. Uh, he treats everybody with respect and, uh, it, that seriously, seriously comes across every conversation that I've had with him and certainly in this as well. Yeah, he's, he's an awesome guy. And he had some, he had some great points that I really liked that we talked about the, the paying players because that stuff's really interesting to me. Um, you know, and that's something that I think is way more, important that it needs to be addressed in like a sport like football where they're bringing in i don't know tens of millions of dollars a year um for those big schools and it's kind of like well now the players get nothing and they're not allowed to um use their likeness like i don't know it's just really interesting so obviously there's actually there's studies out there but there's very few football schools that actually make money if you can really yeah that yeah. surprises me. Yeah, it surprised me too when I heard of that. Um, and then that that's something that I heard. I, I saw a presentation on it like years ago when I was a grad student at Miami. Somebody did a presentation on it. So that's a little bit of – I mean there's so much m- – information and misinformation out there about right. paying athletes. It's such a complicated issue that I didn't like, I got asked the question on the podcast and I didn't even really feel that comfortable answering it because I don't, I feel like I don't have enough information to have a, uh, even though I coached in college, I don't feel like I had a great basis based on research. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
so it's very, very complicated issue. Um, but it's a very, very interesting issue too, because certainly I don't know how much money the actual NCAA makes, but I think it's quite a bit with the TV deals and all the stuff that they go on and everybody in the college world, like a lot of people say, well, where's that money go? Yeah. Where does it go? Um, I, that's a great question. I'm sure a ton of it goes back to the schools, um, that are involved in the, in the NCAA tournament goes back to the school. I, I have no idea. Putting on tournaments and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's expenses and and all that, but I, you know, I would love to see a spreadsheet of of that. That was the nerdiest thing you have ever said. <laughs> I've been working with Vinny. A, I love to see a spreadsheet. Uh, <laughs> can somebody give me a spreadsheet? <laughs> Eat it, we protein should, boy. We should get a uh, NCAA employee and NCAA employee, a NCAA employee on the podcast sometime. That'd be that'd be interesting to have them on and hear more about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, we've talked enough. What do you think? Yeah, All let's right. get. Oh, she's a beauty. <laughs> well, you want to uh, want to talk about our title sponsor real quick? Title sponsor, G E L S T X dot com, dot com. You can use the code Think Tank to get a discount. Gel sticks are a weighted training aid hockey players can use in a multitude of different ways on the ice. <laughs> Off the ice, in practice, in your basement. You want to get stronger? You want better hands? Gelsticks.com. <laughs> I was thinking about, as you were going through that, I was like, this actually sounds like he's reading from a paper right now. And I can assure everybody listening, he is not reading that from a paper. But then when you go to, you can use it in different ways. ways. <laughs> and it was like, okay, not anymore. I was like, I'm rolling, I'm rolling, and I lost it. <laughs> is it true but, that if you don't honestly, use it, yeah, but uh, yeah, if you don't use it, you might lose it. But gelsticks.com, <laughs> we love those boys. Uh, I got to see them when they were here for the all, uh, NHL All-Star and Skills Competition. Got to see the founder and Lounsey we had on the podcast before. Um, one, of, one of the um, head guys in the company as well. Great guys, great product. And gel, gel sports is taking off, actually, like we've talked about before. They've got lacrosse sticks now. They've got golf clubs, which I think are going to be absolutely massive because I think there's way more golfers in the world than hockey players. Again, pulling that number straight out of my hoop. I have no idea if that's a real <laughs> number or not, but I think golf is going to blow hockey out of the water. But every kid, every player that I know that that has a gel stick absolutely raves and loves it. So um, I've had a bunch of people reach out to me via Instagram, actually, and, and ask me to send them a video or say, how do you use them? other than just shooting and stick handling. So if there's anybody out there who wants to know that, uh, seriously, just message me and I can copy and paste and, and, and let you know uh, what I've been telling people how to use it in the gym as well. Cool, cool. And you mentioned Instagram, and I want to mention this because, again, Jeff and I, at the end of every introduction, we always talk about thanking everybody um, for all the feedback and, and all, of, uh, all of the reviews and just reaching out through email, text, fax, fox, uh, pigeon, all that kind of stuff. Um, but we, we seriously really do. And I wanted to read one that you put up on Instagram. It must have been a message that you got. I don't know if it was a text or through Instagram DMs, but um, like this is why we do this. This is legitimately why we do this. And, and I'm not sure who it is, but they wrote, dude, I listened the other day and was shocked to hear him casually drop that. Definitely made me smile. I've listened to a bunch of episodes and each one offers me something different that I truly appreciate. Some episodes leave me feeling more confident in the type of leader, friend, or future father I want to be. And others leave me feeling super nostalgic, which I love. 
Uh, I've been away from the game for a while, so hearing old and new stories helps keep me feel connected. A thank you and congratulations is long overdue. Keep impacting lives. Wow. Yeah, I woke up to that this morning. And when we get off air, I'll tell you who that's from. It's somebody you know. Okay. Um, very, very cool. And, you know, you wake up and you get a message like that. And I'm just like, boom, let's do another one. Let's keep this thing going. So yeah. thank you, everyone, for listening and for the feedback. Yeah, for sure. So without further ado, let's head it on over to Mark Dennehy. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, one of the best guys in the coaching industry, Mark Dennehy. Mark, how are you doing today? Wow, not living up to that intro, I can tell you that much. Oh, but, uh, yes, you I'm will. Doing well, so <laughs> thank you for having me, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, what we love to do is uh, is take it way back here and uh, you know, kind of get a little bit of a sense of, of how you grew up, who your influences were, uh, and, and who kind of got you fallen in love with uh, the great game of hockey. So if you can, take us back to your childhood and, and uh, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and, and how you fell in love with the game. Wow, that's... Uh... So, born in 1967 in Boston, Massachusetts, there was um, it was kind of an earth-shattering event, which was Bobby Orr uh, uh, just setting the, the city on its ear. I think if you look at the number of of, uh, of of hockey players, guys that went on to play college, some guys that went on to play in the pros, the, the sheer number of, of players that were born in Bobby Orr's era. It, it, there was a huge spike. They built more rinks. Uh, more kids started to play. Uh, so my mom got my young, my younger brother and I, my, my youngest brother, Matt, wasn't born then, got us into hockey. We grew up in, in Dorchester, home of uh, the Hayes brothers, Chris O'Sullivan, um, Paul Flagg. There's a, there's a ton of kids in our neighborhood that played hockey. And Sean O'Sullivan was sort of the, 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 the first guy to come through. But put us in hockey for simple reasons. Keep us off the corner. Uh, uh, make friends and then learn some life lessons and um, just really fell in love with it. I mean, we used to play street hockey on Helena Road um, within, a, within a one block area we, there was about five of us that ended up playing Division One college hockey Kevin O'Sullivan uh, played at BU Chris O'Sullivan played at BU Sean O'Sullivan played at Northeastern Mikey Roberts played at Northeastern uh, Timmy Regan played at, at RPI and we had some vicious games to 35 of street hockey that you, you got up in the morning and you started playing and you didn't play until uh you didn't play until the lights came on um you know went from there to, to bc high back in the heyday of high school hockey in the massachusetts era uh and then was lucky enough to to, to go to boston college one of my mentors growing up probably if, if i can look back at, at just a central figure a, a guy that i looked up to was was John Conniff, who had played at Boston College. I think he's the only back-to-back um, beanpot MVP, uh, although a goaltender might have broken that recently or tied that, Caden uh, Primo. Yep. Uh, but, but John Conniff just touched so many players in the area's lives. Um, literally started playing at 14 years old uh, and, and, and made himself a player. Played in the old WHA, um, coached at the NHL level. Uh, small world. One of the guys I work with now, Sergey Breland, uh, uh, was coached by John with New Jersey. Um, just a, a, a great hockey mind. 
really ahead of his time. Um, back even before the 1980 Olympics, he was one of the first guys to watch what the Russians were doing both on and off the ice, bring it to his hockey schools. Uh, my dad was a printer, and he used to print John's hockey school brochures. So my brother and I used to go for free, a little barter system. There you go. And he had a real impact on me as a player and uh, went from BC High to, to Boston College and uh, played a little bit in Europe. Spent one year selling to telecommunications, and that drove me right back into hockey where I got <laughs> fairly lucky. Um, volunteered for two years for Joe Mallon uh, and uh, uh, a reinstated Division One UMass hockey program. I was there for year two and three. Again, got lucky again, and, and, and Toot Cahoon hired me at Princeton. Got on board at the right time. Um, I think it was our, my second year. We won the ECAC championship, their first ever. Coach Jeff Halpern, Catherine Masters, Scott Bertoli, Stevie Sheriff, some really some of the best players that have ever gone through Princeton. Um, took a head coaching job at Fairfield, and literally a year later, Toot got the job at UMass and brought me with him. So... Went from UMass to Merrimack as a head coach, and after 13 years there, uh, uh, was looking for, for work. Um, a former teammate of mine, Billy Guerin, had an opening in Wheeling in the East Coast Hockey League, and I, as, as luck would have it, got the job there. And literally two months later, Tommy Fitzgerald had an opening in Binghamton, called Billy, and I'll forever be in Billy and Jim Rutherford's debt. Um, they let me interview, got the job, and so I am undefeated in the East Coast Hockey League level. <laughs> a little under two months and never lost a hockey game. Never won any, but didn't lose any either. So that's, it's that's been a crazy funny. path, but, but uh, it's, I've enjoyed every day. What do they say? If, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's funny just hearing you talk about growing up in your childhood and even some of your friends and, and where they went to college. I, I understand now, well, I, I, I have always understood, but certainly hearing you talk puts it even more so that there was no point in me in upstate New York, rural town, ever recruiting in Boston because <laughs> nobody wants to leave. <laughs> All the, everybody that you talked about stayed. And it was like, every time I would go and try to recruit a really good player out of Boston, it would be like, yeah, we think it's really cool, but we got to stay in Boston. It's that neighborhood, but it's almost like that neighborhood mentality that you, uh, that you talked about and, um, kind of getting lost nowadays, but it, like, it's just funny to hear you say that. I'm telling you, in, in street hockey, I, I remember um, Brian Noonan won the Stanley Cup with the Rangers. And the day he had the cup, he he had it at, at Salty's public rink, and he was there taking pictures. And he there was a there was a street hockey tournament that, that someone had started a couple of years ago, and, and he was had a team in it. And he wasn't even the best guy on his team, his brother Paul. Paul Noonan might have the best mitts of anybody in the family. And you know how good Brian Noonan was as a player. Just an uh, unbelievable high school hockey player, pro. He went from Archbishop Williams to the IHL and ended up winning Rookie of the Year in the IHL, like one year removed from high school. So he was an unbelievable player. So he couldn't play. He couldn't play in, the, in one of the days of the tournament because he had the Stanley Cup and he was taking pictures of everybody in the community. Meanwhile, his buddy Chris Chelios was in town. He ended up playing for him in the tournament 
Now, we're talking about Charlestown, Southie, Dorchester, uh, JP, West Rock. They were kids and teams from all over the city. I mean, it was funny because I just remember it was like, it was like Chelios had a force field around him. First of all, he wouldn't go near him anyways because he could probably beat the snot out of you, but those salty kids were making sure that nobody was touching him. And all I could think about was, was like, God, I, I wonder if his agent knows he's playing in a street hockey game right now. Uh, but that's what it was. I mean, we used to He play, wouldn't listen anyway. <laughs> I mean, I don't, know, I don't know Chris at all, but uh, it was, it's one of those things you just remember. That's Do so kids crazy. still play street hockey? Like, I don't know. I don't see any kids on my street playing, but like maybe just kids on my street that I, where I live, they don't play hockey. But like, is that still a thing? You know, I, I don't think it is Jeff, but one of the things that I'm encouraged by, like I live in Andover now, which is one of the more, I mean, it's not Western mass, but it's, it's, it's a higher echelon community. And, and I tell the people at the board of Andover youth hockey, no offense. Cause it's great for my daughters. But when I grew up, I didn't know anybody from Andover that played hockey. But now Andover is one of the largest uh, uh, town hockey organizations in the state because that's where we are with hockey. It's so expensive that a lot of these smaller towns, the Dorchesters, the, the Charlestowns, the, the Burlingtons, they can't afford to have teams, right? But what is encouraging is, as I drive around Andover, there might not be street hockey, but there are backyard ranks. So... And again, I don't know if, if the same is going on in, in New York and Chicago and St. Louis, but that for me is encouraging because I'll drive around town and you'll see kids outside either just on their own, just playing, or they've got a couple friends over and they're playing a little bit of hockey. So I don't see street hockey, but I do see backyard rinks, and, and I think that's a, a decent trade-off. Well, that's good news. I mean, I, I just think that there's – Tof and I talk about it all the time and unstructured play. And that's what kind of like the ADM is about. Like some of it, obviously not all of it. It's a very large thing. I don't want to just say that that's one thing it's about, but like Tof and I played so much street hockey and so much basement hockey and so much garage hockey. And it, I feel like, you know, you can work on so many things and have fun and perfect like little details of the game. And the big part, like just having fun with your friends and, and learning new things and trying new things. Like for sure, that's where guys like, like Rob Shrimp who started picking up the puck, that's where they started to learn that guys who have really good break breakaway moves and, and shootout moves. That's where they started to learn it. And you foster such a passion for those little fun, you know, no pressure, no coaching situations. And I hope more people encourage that stuff as the summer goes on and not just be on the ice five days a week, like once or twice. Okay. But you can still play hockey, but you don't need to be on the ice in a structured setting. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Jeff. And, and listen, I'm a coach, so I believe in coaching and I think there's a place for it. Right. But like, I remember when the X games was on ESPN two, and, and the NHL was on ESPN, right? And then there was a couple of years where the X Games was on ABC and, and the NHL was on the Outdoor Network, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, and I'm thinking to myself, what's going on, right? So have you ever heard of a skateboarding coach or a, or a, 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 you know, a, a trick bike coach? No, right? Eight-year-old kids don't want to hang out with 40-year-old guys. <laughs> they want to play. That's what they want to do, right? And so... Those X game sports, kids were being drawn to them because they were allowed to kind of be their own kid. And you're dead on. Like all these trick plays and all these, you know, there's no coach there telling them not to do it. 
And, and listen, there are some good coaches. There are a lot of them. And, and they'll let kids make mistakes because that's how you get better. You learn more from failure sometimes than you do from, from success. Big time. Big time, yeah. We uh, we I feel like we talk about that on every podcast for sure. Um, but yeah, I think that all goes along with like everybody I talk to cannot figure out what the hell is going on in Boston right now <laughs> in terms of the youth hockey culture and and all that kind of stuff. You've been steeped in Boston. Um, we already talked about um, you know the you guys hanging out on the corner and and what youth hockey was to you guys back in the day and we're talking about unstructured play and I feel like it's just such a different place right now with so many different things going on from a business standpoint and so if you can just explain to me explain a little bit to our listeners what what you think's going on in Boston right now and if there's any way to to help to rectify some of the craziness that's going on there I think I, I mean I think at some point it, it everything kind of sorts itself out, and and I don't want to sit here and be self righteous. So yeah, there's responsibility to go around for everybody. I was a part of you know I I love college hockey. I believe in college hockey, but you know I, I'll never forget maybe five or six years ago, uh, a, a guy who I knew who was coaching a team up in the Quebec tournament. You know we were talking, having the same conversation, and he said, "Well, you guys are as bad as anybody." I'm coaching 12-year-olds. I'm coaching 12-year-olds, and there's parents on our team that truthfully believe that their child will have a scholarship within the next 12 months. And unfortunately, there were a couple on his team who did. Right? So there's plenty of, you know, so if you think about it that way, right, if, if, if a kid could go from peewee hockey to within a 12-month window having a, a scholarship offered to college, well, holy smokes, you better get on that treadmill pretty quick. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a big believer in, in, in stealing, right? Looking at great organizations, whether it's business or sports organizations, look at the successful ones and, and see how they do it, okay? And, and what's happened in Massachusetts and New England, it's not, it's, it's not uh, I think, it, it, it's in other places as well. It's become a business, okay? And, and I've said this, and, and I believe it, right? Youth sports, not just hockey, but youth sports is a great business model, right? If I want to run a business, it's a great business model because parents intuitively want what's best for their kids, and they will go to the ends of the earth to make it happen. It's almost recession-proof right? <laughs> but youth sports, youth sports is an awful development model. If you look at the places that are doing it the best, you look at the Swedens, you look at the Finlands, you look at parts of Western Canada, it's community-based. It's community-based, yeah. right? And so, you know, you can read Outliers or you can read the sports gene by David Epstein, right? At the end of the day, is it nurture? Is it nature? It's probably a combination of the two, but if you're asking me to pick one, I'll pick nature every day and twice on Sunday. And so what we want is we want a wide base. We want as many kids playing at the bottom as possible. But what we've created with this U8, U10 elite hockey is a silo. So, you know, you've got, and and I don't want to pick on any one league, but you've got a league out here, the EHF, that has, I don't know, 10 teams, right? And each team has, what, 12 players? So I'm not a mathematician, but that's 120 players. If you're picking 128-year-olds, 
right, and you've got this model that goes right up, you better be good. I know that NHL teams have a tough time picking 18-year-olds. <laughs> I don't know how you can pick 128-year-olds and say that they're going to be the best 120 16-year-olds. My guess is you're really going to make mistakes. You're going to be wrong. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this because you said something that Toph and I, we talked about with a guest recently. I can't remember who it was. And you said, we want as many players to be playing hockey at the bottom as possible. And Toph, maybe you'll remember which guest we were talking about this with, but somebody was like, we're, we're, pushing the hitting age back with a lot in a lot of places um, for like house leagues and maybe for sure house leagues and maybe even like B1 or B2. Uh, this guest was like, why do we have hitting in those leagues? Oh, it was Bob, it was Bob Mancini from, yeah. from USA Hockey. Yeah. He said it. And I was like, that makes so much sense. If we want more people to play hockey, like why wouldn't we have those people in house leagues, even if they're bantams or peewees or midgets, and they're not looking to go anywhere in hockey, and we want to create more hockey people, more hockey families, more hockey fans – we should have leagues where there's no hitting or maybe house league is no hitting. What do you think about that? You know, I, you're going to think I've probably been on the wrong side of a couple hits with my opinion. <laughs> I, I listen, I, 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 Bob Mancini, Ken Martell, uh, USA hockey, they've studied it. They, 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 you know, they've had neurologists look at it, you know, anecdotally, or they have the science. I, I, I rely a little bit on my anecdotal experience. You know, I, I think that the, the, the later you push it back, right, and this is my own anecdotal personal belief, the later you push it back, right, the more uh, uh, difference in size of the kids, the more it's a forbidden fruit, and the less prepared they are for hitting, right? Growing up, when I grew up, you didn't bring the puck into the middle of the ice because you knew there was a player like Scott Stevens who was coming. Unless you're going to take hockey out from the top down, uh, hitting out from the top down, I just think the later you introduce it, the riskier it becomes. Now, I do think that as time goes on, that having different options for kids and for young adults to keep them involved is, is fantastic. I really think the mistakes we're making is that in Massachusetts in particular, right, a youth hockey season in Massachusetts Right? They, love, they love to treat the kids like pros. They, they show up in, in shirts and ties. They have the bags. They have the, the track suits. They've got the, you know, all the, 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 the trappings of pros, except for the fact that there's no way the NHLPA would sign off on the schedule that a mite is playing in Massachusetts. They start in <laughs> Labor Day, and they don't end until June. Thank like, you. They literally, their season is longer than the NHL. Ew. You wouldn't get an NHL player to play that long. <laughs> so I, I, I had a friend of mine who played Division One college hockey for me who had he had five kids, and he had just, I mean, it wore him up. By the time his fifth child was in hockey, he literally said to the child at 12 years old, you know what, sweetie, if, if, if you quit playing, I'll buy you a pony. <laughs> it's, so, it's so long. It's, it's just whether it's the cost whether it's the travel, whether it's the time commitment. Parents look at it and go, wow, like if I'm in it, I can't just dip my toe. So I agree with you, Jeff. I think having 
one of the things that Andover Yuzaki is doing that I really like is with their learn to skate. They're having they're having a, a, a fall option, and they're having a, a, a winter option. So it might go from October to to Christmas, and then Christmas to to March. I think that's a great idea. And and you know what? You may choose to do both with your child. Who knows? But I think I mean you see it in golf now, right? They play nine holes, or let's make the holes bigger. Or, you know, people's time and 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 their 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 interests are so diverse now. We got to bring them into this great game because once it does sink your teeth, it's teeth into you. It usually takes hold. I actually really like that idea. You, just, I've never thought of that. Like maybe uh, within a town, because I know like on the East Coast, it's a lot of like within your town you're playing. Maybe it's like three month seasons and it's it's through the town through the municipality or the city or however that would work i don't know how business stuff works with that stuff but not my expertise but maybe it's like the city sets up like a thing where it's like all right you can sign up for this and you can either pick a la carte which sports you want to play for or maybe you sign up for like a nine-month program in three months it's learn to play hockey three months it's learn to play basketball three months it's learn to play soccer or, or you know you decide what those three sports are that could be a really cool idea and for people like Tof and I, I that really that really believe in uh, multi-sport athletes to round out their skill sets and them as a person expose them to different coaches expose them to different cultures different personalities I think that will be best for the kids personally and make them better athletes especially at the younger ages that's a that's a really interesting idea I like that the hard part, Jeff, and, and listen, I, I hate pointing out problems without solutions. You know, the hard part is it's all sports, right? So, I, like I said, I have three daughters, and, and one's into theater, one's into soccer, and, and it's all the same. Every coach tells you, we believe in multi-sport athletes and you should be diverse, and then they give you your schedule, <laughs> and, and you're like, okay, well, where are we fitting it in? Like, you're telling us we start in, in, at the end of August, it goes through April, and it's about four days a week. When does my child get a day off? So, you know, one of the, thing, one of the books I'm actually thinking about is, and I, 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 I talked to Toph about this a little bit, right? I think sports are great. Sport is great. It's a great teacher of life lessons, right? It's why my mother put me into hockey. Again, teammates, working for a common goal, uh, determination, persistence, resilience. There's so many Unfortunately, right now, we're, te- we're teaching our kids different, different messages. You know, when, when I played for the Ponce at youth hockey, not Dorchester youth hockey, Dorchester had two different organizations geographically. We had two, right? If I was the third-line center for the Squirt A team and I wanted to be the second or the first-line center, I had two options. One was to kill one of the two guys above me. <laughs> that wasn't a good option. The other one was to get better. Right? It was to get better. Now, right? Now, I mean, I don't know who the, the hockey bag salesman is in Michigan, but they're killing it. Because one year it's honey baked, the next year it's, yeah. it's, it's uh, coffee where the next, like, kids change teams constantly. And, and so, like, what, what lessons are we teaching them? And, and I, again, I've got blood on my hands. So there'll be times when our daughter's schedules are insane, right? And they'll have a hockey practice. And my wife and I have to just say no. You've got homework. And, and I love that you say no, 
I love that you say no, especially but, but, if the kid's not 18 or juniors, because if the kid has been going to school all day and it's finals or, or they're really tired, and especially if they're not playing like AAA, even, even if they are, if they're young, and they need a day off, coaches, if a parent calls you or if the kid is above 15, I think he should be calling the coach because, again, we get back to life lessons. The kid should be calling the coach as much as possible. Like, it's okay. That kid needs a day off. Him dipping into his energy and, like, he's tired. Like, that's where you create problems. That's where you create guys who don't love the game. That's where you create injuries. So, like, if a kid has to miss a day, it's not the worst thing in the world. At the same time, we want to we wanna put people uh, – talking about commitment and being there and when it's hard you still got to go but like the kid absolutely comes to you is like i'm gassed i need a day off i don't think it's the worst thing in the world to give them a day off and coaches need to think about those things oh it ruined my practice plan well is it about you and your practice plan or is it about each kid individually and then them as a team like why are you doing this and and parents do it's hard it's hard like you know i i had a parent who uh who, who said to me once you know, my child loves it. They just love it. We're talking about spring hockey, you know, and, and I said, I said, you know, you're a dentist, right? She said, yes. I said, well, my daughters love chocolate. They love it. They absolutely love it. Should I let them eat chocolate every day? Is that going to be healthy for them? So, you know, as a parent, sometimes you have to pull back. And, and I was talking to a friend of mine who, who uh, ran a club organization. And what he said disappoints him is, like, we used to – love the start of the hockey season, right? Yeah, your skates might have been a little bit crusty, right? Uh, you, you might have had a little rust on you, but there was nothing better than the start of the season. For some of these kids, the season never ends. And so it's, it's hard to have that passion, you know? I mean, even the pros, they, they put their stuff away, right? And, it doesn't, and, and, and it's their job. But I just think that there's a group. Hey, listen, uh, most of the rinks in New England that were built during Bobby Orr's era have now been privatized. We as a society chose not to fund it because we lost money on the rinks, right? So we chose to privatize them. So here's the reality. Somebody who owns that rink has their lights on. They're getting a bill. Either they're paying it or someone else is. And they're getting a bill in April and they're getting a bill in May and they're getting a bill in June. And so I don't know how philanthropic they are. More often than not, they're in it for the business. They've chosen to, to buy a rink. So if they've got a bill, someone's got to pay it, which means they've got to convince people that's it, that it's important to, to play year-round. And, and, and I think that, that the kids in Massachusetts and New England, they're paying the price. Yeah, it's interesting. I've I've wondered and and I've tried to think outside the box about like what rinks can do in the summer that doesn't have to do with making sure kids are on the ice all the time. Uh, have you guys ever thought about that putting in turf or just taking the ice out and doing like a a, a roller hockey league or I mean I just I've tried to think outside the box because I think we all understand that kids should not be playing hockey year round, but I think we all understand that these private rinks have to keep their lights on. Yeah. So, Absolutely. I mean, have you guys, have you guys thought about that or, or are there any kind of creative ways that rinks can, can, uh, provide a great service aside from, you know, like having the kids on the ice all the time? 
Aside maybe Jeff just doing strength stuff. <laughs> well, dude, team with uh, team with uh, strength coaches and do off ice stuff. I don't know. Oh, a hundred, a hundred percent. Well, I know here in St. Louis, a lot of rinks will take, if it's a double sheet or a triple sheet rink, they'll take at least one sheet down to save costs. Cause what's the biggest cost in the summer, refrigerating the rink and cooling it. That is a massive opportunity. So I was in my gym, which is in a rink training a couple of my clients one day. And, uh, this gentleman comes up the door, knocks on the door, works at the rink. He's like, Hey, you need to talk to these guys. And it was the two guys that run, um, the St. Louis cricket like everything cricket that's in St. Louis. I've never even seen cricket. I know what it is. So they're going to rent out the rink at night to play cricket in. And I talked to the rink before that. And I'm like, Hey, you could do box lacrosse. You could do indoor soccer. You could do half ice quote unquote, even though the ice is out soccer games or lacrosse games for little kids or floorball. So from the rinks perspective to make money, you could bring in a a strength coach or a personal trainer and run boot camps at 6am for people. You know, you could do so many things. You just got to think outside the box. Like it doesn't just have to be hockey. If you've got to take the sheet down, you can still monetize that space. It's a great space. It's in an air conditioned rink. If it's hot outside, people want to be inside. There's tons of, you could have parties in there. You could have bingo night, think outside the box to yep. make some money and keep the rink going. No, I think that's a great idea, Jeff. And there's a couple of rinks in, in Boston. I know of that have, they actually have a turf. So, you know, you can, like you said, you take the ice out of the rink and you run your events off the turf. Again, I think part of the problem is that kids are specializing, not even because they, 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 they're trying to specialize, just because it's hard to do anything else or afford to do anything else. Kids are specializing at such a young age now. And, and again, like I said, you would think that people would look at the places that are doing it right and look at that model. Right. Look at that model um, of of Casey Middlestat, right? Who's a, a great athlete. We had a kid, Stefan DaCosta, who who was from Paris, France, and I used to kid the Massachusetts kids, and I'd say, "God, how could he have made it to this level without playing in the EHF? Like, <laughs> how did he do it? Right? He's from Paris, France. He was our best player, maybe the best player I've ever coached. He he played tennis." At the time, Merrimack had uh, Division II tennis. They were in the NCAA Division II tennis tournament. He would have been their number two player, right? They also had a, a really good soccer team. He could have started for the soccer team. That's what it was like when I was growing up. The best athletes played all three sports, and they were good at all three. Thankfully, they chose the right one, and when push came to shove, they played hockey, right? Tommy Glavin, right? Uh, I've heard stories of Brian Leach being the best pitcher on the Avon Old Farms uh, baseball team. The number two pitcher was Juan Nieves, who was the Red Sox pitching coach three years ago. Like, that's how it used to be. I don't know. I don't know how we get back there. Maybe doing something like you're talking about gets us there. Yeah, I don't know. And, and, to be completely honest, like I was a kid who stayed on the ice a lot in the summer when I was younger. There, like I didn't, there was no skills coaches back then. It was mainly just a lot of shooting that I was doing by myself out on the ice or with my buddies going to stick and pucks. But I was on the ice a lot and it did help me to get better. However, it did not make me more athletic. Um, and yeah. as you go up in hockey, 
the better athletes, the more athletic guys, the more well-rounded guys, the guys who've played other sports, they always seem to be the best players for, for, on the whole, yeah. at least from what I've noticed. And I so I, just, I, I'm not, I'm not saying like, don't ever skate in the summer and don't get a skills coach. Like, I don't want people to think that because I do believe there's value in it, but I don't think spring league where you're playing three days a week and practicing two like you don't need to be on the ice all the time it creates overuse injuries you don't have that passion for the game that you do like when i got older i started taking two months off end of the season i'm not skating for two months from like juniors until until my last year of pro take two months off get away from the rink and then slowly work my way back into it the first month that i'd start skating i would skate once a week then the second month, I would skate twice a week. The third month, three to four times a week and like three and a half months in or four months in from the offseason, that's when I'd be going off to whatever team I'm playing for. So you ramp it up slowly, get your body used to it while still doing tons of other athletic things to help with everything that we all know it helps with. And I agree with you about skills coaches. Again, you know, um, I used to recommend the book Outliers to people, right? And then I stopped recommending it to parents because they read it and they think their kid's the outlier. Everyone does, which is statistically impossible. They can't all be outliers. Right? <laughs> and, and, and Gladwell bastardized this 10,000 hours rule, right? Yeah. It's actually the Eric, it's Erickson's law, and it's an average, number one. It's for specific exercises like, uh, like, like playing the piano or chess um and and maybe gymnast whatever right so that's part of it and then the other part of it is you may you may do 40,000 hours and it may never happen to you right so it's got to be specific practice i i think skill coaches are are great because i think it's 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 again especially the right ones because they're they're honing in on specific skills and and that's much closer to that that type of practice you need to get better just going out and and again go out and have fun that's great but a lot of these showcase showcase tournaments it's it's they're stealing your money and that's my opinion that's you know that doesn't represent the the devils or think tank hockey (laughs) i hope did you do a lot of skill uh uh, not skill coaches did you do a lot of showcases when you played uh already i'm so old jeff there weren't many so there was the chowder cup which Unlike now, there were only, uh, I think there might have been eight teams. And actually, it was, a, a, it, it was from different parts of, of the U.S. And then there was Hockey Night in Boston. And Hockey Night in Boston was really the first one. Uh, that was the first summer tournament. Um, and the guys that ran the, the Chowder Cup also had a pro-am league that would be, you know, when the kids got out, it'd be once a week. So... Again, I think by the time you get to, you know, post-pubescence, that training in the summer is important. Getting on the ice and working on your skills and, um, you know, I, I like your idea of, of, hey, listen, two months and then it's once a week, twice a week and, and building up from there. That That's kind of how it was when I was growing up. Yeah. I, I To be honest, I like you asked the question, Jeff, showcases, I, I don't even remember – the word showcase being a part of my dialogue until like very, very recently. So, and that's one thing too. I, I, what happened to tournaments? 
where there's like a semifinal and a final and there's a winner. It's it's isn't that kind of that was the fun of it. Now there's like you just go and you play games and that's it. What I miss the tournaments where the games actually meant something and it wasn't a showcase which showcases the individual. It was a tournament that was meant to be won by a team. I think that needs to come back to the forefront too. Dude, I am so happy you said this. I was having this conversation with my head coach, Mike Barra, and assistant coach, Chris Durso. Great guys. What's up, boys? I know they listen. Uh, Last week, I was like, why do we just always play games and we go to these quote-unquote showcases? And why aren't there tournaments? Like, you and I were both about, you know, like, positivity and helping each kid be their best. But at the same time, competition brings out the best in everyone or the worst. And we're here to teach them how to get better at it. But, like, we need that competition. We need there to be, you know, live or die for this game to go on to the next one. Like that's how you get the most out of you yourself and, and your team and your players. So I hope we go back to tournaments. I miss them as a coach now, and I would really not like them as a player. You're playing your fourth game in four days or two days or whatever it is on the weekend that doesn't matter, or you're playing a game for a championship. Like, I don't care about the trophy. Just saying you're the champion, like, that's what you want to have. That's what you want to win. I love competitors. Well, as coaches, right, we always talk about playing for the name on the front of your jersey, not on the back. Yeah. Right? It just the, the, the basic premise of a showcase tournament is you're playing for the name on the back of your jersey. Yeah. Right? You're showcasing your abilities. Whereas a tournament, we are trying to win it. Just the, the, the whole premise changes. And now it becomes... I, I feel like, you know, these players, these young players, play too many inconsequential games. Yep. Right? There shouldn't be an inconsequential game. Right? We'll bring you back to Helena Road in Dorchester. Right? The Helena Road Hurricanes would play a team from a different part of town just in street hockey. I can assure you there were no meaningless games on Helena Road. <laughs> there, was a, there was a chip tooth. There might have been a fight. Uh, you know, it was... And, and then we shook hands afterwards and, and got ready for another day. Like, so I, I just feel like there's way too many inconsequential games. Yeah. And, and if, you're, if, if you as a player are finding yourself playing in those, remove yourself because you're better off. Because if there's someone in the stands watching you and you're playing as if it's an inconsequential game, not only will you not catch their eye or get a scholarship, you may lose one. Yeah, I, I think um... – the biggest way that I see it, and Mark, you can attest to this, is I absolutely cannot stand the select festivals that USA Hockey puts on in the summers anymore because everybody plays for themselves instead of their region. So, Jeff, right, like when we were growing up, we played for the Central District and we would play against Massachusetts and Minnesota and Rocky Mountain and Michigan and all that kind of stuff. And it was a tournament that you wanted to win. I mean, it still is kind of a tournament that you want pride. to win. Yeah, but you are, yeah, you had like pride of, of, of your region and you, you knew the people and it was competitive and, and it was gritty and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like I go there now and it's like pond hockey because everybody's out all the colleges are in the stands from 15s all the way up where 15s weren't in the stands when we were going through it. Um, that's a different, that's a different discussion, but, um, you know, it was, it meant something to represent your district. You felt like you were, and you've always had a chip on your shoulder of being in St. Louis, almost feeling like a second class citizen, which you were to us in Chicago, but that's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 
But, you know, when you played against Massachusetts, you want to beat Massachusetts. We were calling them mass holes and all that kind of stuff. You playing against Minnesota and they were like the skilled soft people and you wanted to make sure that you were beating them. And there was just a, it was a regional thing that you took pride in being from where you were. And if I was a part of USA Hockey, honestly, one of the first things I would do is go back to that because that was so much better for, for a college coach. It was a much better evaluation when you're evaluating talent for who you want to bring into your program because the hockey actually looked like hockey it wasn't just like somebody going down and trying to beat somebody one-on-one the whole time which is all those showcases are nowadays um so i i man and that's just another way i mean all coaches they want to breed compete level right that's what we talk about you want to have kids that know how to compete and want to win um and by putting all these showcases together it's almost giving them an excuse to play for themselves um, and where they want to go in hockey instead of learning again. And coach, I know you're huge on this learning life lessons about what it means to be a part of greater than something than yourself. No doubt. Hey, listen, a couple things. There's way too much shin, shin guard taps at, at, at some of these tournaments. Oh. Hey buddy, how you like, if I ever tap some guy's shin pads on the other team, my coach would have sat, what a John Conniff would have put my derriere Right on the bench for a couple shifts. <laughs> you can you can say hi to him after the game. Right now he's he's the enemy. Um, listen, uh, USA Hockey, they've got a tough job. Sometimes it's like they're trying to wrangle fleas. Right. Um, I, I know why they do what they because the, the, I've had conversations with with the people in USA Hockey. It's for the right reasons. Couple things. They want to break down the barriers. Right. It's almost like the miracle. I'm I'm from I'm from Winthrop. No, I'm from I'm from the U.S. So they want to break down some of those barriers, number one, so that kids from different uh, parts of the country get to know each other. Number two, I think at times, you know, it, it, it gets top-heavy with some of the, whether it's Minnesota or Michigan or, or Illinois or Massachusetts. Or St. Louis. Or some of these other, <laughs> or St. Louis where the, yeah, hey, St. Louis 2016 class, right? I'm there sure they go. could have done some damage. Um, but I agree with you, and I've said this to them. I just think that, that you know, when, it was, when you played for your region and, and it wasn't just that, that there was more camaraderie, that there was more, a, a more fierce competition. So I understand why USA Hockey does what they do, um, but I, I happen to agree with you, Toph. I would like to see it go back to the regional because you know what? It might be good for Massachusetts to get humble, right? Now, now it might be you've got some of these quote-unquote non-traditional hockey hotbeds that might come in and actually tar and feather some of these more established hockey areas, and that might be a wake-up call for 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 some of those areas. Yeah. And listen, there you know this isn't me. There are some great organizations in Mass and in New England. Um, you know, when I worked at Merrimack, I got to watch North Reading um, youth hockey and and. How, I'd watch them run their practices, and these are volunteer assistants and volunteer coaches, and and just they had stations and they had movement and they had kids coming in with smiles and leave them with smiles. My girls have been a part of Andover Youth Hockey, and and it's been a great experience for them. Uh, uh, Bob Hauser and now Matt McLaughlin are doing great, you know, they, they, and they've got a hard job because they're competing against businesses, right? These are volunteers with full-time jobs that are competing against basically professional youth hockey organizations. So there, there are some really good things going on in mass. I just think overall, uh, you know, we need to get back to being community-based. I think 
if we could get there, then then you know we could get back to back to the heydays of of Massachusetts hockey. Yeah, yeah and and I. Toph and I always talk about our opinions. Obviously, we have strong opinions, but it doesn't mean we're right. doesn't mean we're wrong. It's just what we would like to do and the way we believe things should go. And we've both seen the positive effects that they can have. And I'm sure with regards to the the select festivals in the summer i you're right like that would make sense to to break down barriers and create friendships across the different uh districts and stuff like that so for the nt future ntdp players like they'll get to know each other but at the same time man i like i still have pride in winning a gold medal at select 17 and and finishing second at select 16 against a michigan team that had probably 10 future nhl players on it um and we played Tolf and I played with a bunch of future NHL players in our region. And I still, like, if I see somebody that's an 85, I'll be like, were you at Selects? Oh, yeah, 17, we won gold. I still talk about it <laughs> because, like, it was such a, it, it, you know, it, it was so big for me being a St. Louis guy. And I still have pride in that. I just wish they would bring that back because, I, you know, when you play with pride and you play with something on the line and you make something a true competition where there's, where there's like, you know, blood, sweat, and pride on the line, you're going to play harder you're going to showcase yourself better it'll be a better product for the scouts to watch like tove said i think personally maybe there's ways in practice you split up the teams so guys can meet each other and yada 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 but then when it's game time like you said no shin taps like i hate that stuff too when the game starts drop yeah. the puck don't talk to each other you, you, you don't gotta slash the other guy in the face but like don't be buddies nope. like this is competition time nope. it's time to eat i'm trying to beat you yeah, I want to I'm rip running, your head off. I'm I don't want to hurt you, but I want to rip your head off metaphorically. <laughs> the other thing, the other thing that was happening too is you had certain districts that were literally practicing the week before, uh, you know, putting power plays together, putting penalty kills together. Whereas other, other uh, like Rocky Mountain and, and Mid Atlantic didn't have that same advantage. And then, of course, it's not the children that ruin youth sports, right? It's usually the adults. So now you got you know a team from a region that all of a sudden that bench gets short because they got a chance to win a, a silver or gold and and okay well at U17 that's one thing but at U14 at U15 you know these kids are are trying to do, so again I'm with you I agree with you I'd love to see it go back to the the, the original districts. But I, I do know why, you know, USA Hockey doesn't do things indiscriminately. They do it with a thought process behind it, and it's usually well-founded. So, uh, you know, I, I got to give them credit for, for, you know, thinking it out. And I might not agree with it, but it's been well thought out for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, uh, Coach, is you've you've had an unbelievable experience. You've coached in hockey for a long time, um, seen a lot of different things, mentored a lot of different people, and – it's interesting because a lot of the people that I talk to, they have, that have coached in college hockey and then go to pro, they're like, "I'm never going back to college hockey again. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not doing it again with all the recruiting and, and all this stuff that's going on." Um, but for you, what was your experience like um, coaching in college? Now you're obviously coaching at the AHL level as a head coach in Binghamton. You know, what's the difference between the two? Um, and what were, like, what's your, just your overall sense of, of now being in pro hockey and, and do you miss coaching in college as well? Yeah, you know what? At, at the end of the day, hockey's hockey. It really is. And, and the mistakes some of my guys make are the same mistakes that I was trying to, 
uh, you know, help a freshman with, taking care of the puck, putting in good places, protecting it, um, you know, recognizing what, what, what's the time on the clock, where are you on the ice, what's the situation, those things. You're working on skill development still. So the hockey's the hockey. Um, hey, there are, there, are some, there are some great parts to pro hockey, and, and, and there are some parts of the college game I miss too. Um, so, you know, just to be in the sport, I just consider myself so lucky to be doing what I'm doing and, and thankful to, to Ray Shero and, and Tom Fitzgerald and, and Jim Rutherford and Billy Garen and, 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 then, and then really lucky with who I work with. So uh, uh, Sergey Breland and, and Ryan Parent and Ian, Ian Greenwald, all have different backgrounds. You know, Sergey's been a part of the Devils organization for over 20 years. He's, got, he's one of f- f- uh, five people on the planet to have, been a, to have played for all three Stanley Cup championship teams. And I'm sure when they hired me, he was like, what's a Merrimack? Like, <laughs> where's this coming from? You know? And, and he couldn't have been more, he, he couldn't have more humility. He couldn't be more hardworking. He's got a great feel for the game. Uh, Ryan is a younger guy, second year coach, really intuitive, um, and, and has a good sense for the game. And Ian uh, has come in, and, and we have similar backgrounds. He coached at Union with, with Rick, Rick, Rick Bennett. He did the video for them. So we all kind of bring something different to the table. Uh, it's been great. I mean, there are times last year when, when they would say, geez, you know, this is kind of how we do it at the pro level, you know? And, and then there are times where I'm like, okay, well, this is how I've done it in the past. And it doesn't look like what we've done at the pro level is working. So we're going to try this. And they've been open to it. And, um, and it's been great. You know, it's, it's all hockey. It's all hockey. There's, you know, I'm not worried about residence life. I'm not worried about (laughs) meal plans. I'm not worried about, NCAA compliance clearinghouse, um, but you do miss. You know, when it, I think it's really a sweet spot. You know, getting a, a young adult who isn't isn't totally socially mature or physically mature and helping them come in and become men. And I mean, we've got some twenty year olds that are very similar. Um, you know, but it is a little different relationship because, hey, l- listen. You know, these guys are independent contractors. Um, you know. But I'll tell you what's, what's made me a better coach. You kind of, college, college athletes are kind of indentured servants, right? They may not agree with what you're saying, but they're never going to admit it, at least until they're seniors or they've graduated, right? These pro guys, it's got to make sense to them or, or they're not going to buy in. You've got to make sure that your message is clear, understandable, and succinct. And you better be able to get it across in a four-minute meeting, and you better be able to get it... Uh, in place in a 45 to 50 minute practice, or you're not going to get very far. And that makes you a better coach. I love that. And I totally agree. And I've never coached at the level that you two have coached at, obviously, but I always thought that it would be as a head coach, it would be more fun of a job maybe for me and my personality to coach in college hockey because the minds are a little bit more malleable, kind of like what you just said, like the pro guys. It's like, if you say to a pro guy, like do this and it's like something that's like stupid or doesn't make sense, you know, they're turning around and like, what the hell is this guy talking? I'm not doing that. We're in college. You can, you have a little more control, but this is interesting because I was talking about this yesterday with uh, Jamie rivers, former NHL player, uh, great, guy in st louis has his own podcast anybody looking for another hockey podcast check him out um but we were talking about the how ncaa players might start getting paid and like that stuff what do you feel about that you two as former college hockey coaches 
Tope, you want to start? I mean, as my wife loves to say, I've got plenty of opinions, and unfortunately, I'm happy to share them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still, I, you know what? I, I think I don't know enough. I, I think I'm a little bit more old school, specifically because you're getting a free education and you're getting a lot of stuff paid for, and I think there's a lot of value to that, and there's a lot of you know, how do you do it amongst an equal playing field where the star football player has to be paid the same as the, you know, the hockey player or the equestrian person or whatever it may be. Um, I I don't think that athletes should be paid. I mean, maybe if they did a small amount, I mean, I think they should be paid so they can live uh, in a decent way, which I think colleges cover. Um, Maybe it's different in other colleges, but I'm a little bit more old school when it comes to that. I don't know about you, coach. So I think the first thing that will happen is um, they should be allowed to use their likeness because at the end of the day, nobody really cares what sneakers Mike Krzyzewski wears. Yeah. So I don't know why Nike's paying him, right? They should be paying the players. Um, And then I think it's going to have to be sport to sport, but you have to be careful. Like a lot of these big schools, the the athletic departments run as their own uh, uh, business models, business units, right? So they have a budget and they, they, they spend a certain amount of money, and they bring in a certain amount of revenue. And a lot of these big, big, big-time sports uh, uh, departments actually kick money back to the schools. So it's really not costing the schools anything. And so you've got sports like football and basketball and these big, and these big, big um, uh, BS, BCS schools that are paying for all these other sports that don't generate revenue. Yeah. Well, all of a sudden, if you start playing, paying these football and basketball players a lot of money, they're going to start canceling sports. I mean, it's just, it's math, right? They can't print more money. So do I think that, that some of these revenue-generating sports deserve to be compensated? I do. I just, I don't know how you're going to do it and, and continue with the same model. So the, some of the non-revenue-generating sports better be careful what they wish for because they could end up being extinct at the collegiate level. Wow. Here's the thing. Here's the big mistake. Here's one of the big mistakes that they've that, that the NCAA has made. In my in my opinion. So I'm sure I'm sure you or may have not heard of the Northwestern. Uh, th- there was a lawsuit, right? Brought brought by I think it was Northwestern football. It was yeah. Uh, a, a number of years back, and 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 the student athletes were asking for three things. They're asking for three things. You want to guess what those three things were? I can't remember. Go ahead. No idea. <laughs> they were asking for, for guaranteed four-year scholarships. So if a coach changes, they can't just gas me. Yeah. They were asking for, if I have a debilitating injury, I want, I want to make sure I'm covered for life. Right? And here's the kicker. This is the one that, that, that is going to surprise you. They were asking to be allowed to pick their own majors. Those were their three demands. That was it. And the NCAA. That was it. That was it. And they had I mean, to fight the NCAA. That's crazy. I mean, I, I agree with all of those. And, you know, it is really, it is, I think it is a slippery slope, like you said, because a, a, a school like Ohio State's football team, their players could make tons of money. And then Ohio State's, I don't know, water polo team, they're probably making nothing. So like you said, that could be a slippery slope, but I definitely think the players should be allowed to use their likeness. I have no idea thoughts or ideas or, or shine a light on how that would work. Um, 
because it would also create a lot of jealousy. But I mean, at the very least, I think Toph and I have talked about this scholarship should be guaranteed. I believe if you tell a kid and you sign on the, they sign on the line and you sign on the line, like you're getting a scholarship. I don't care if it's a one for four or two for four or, or a full ride. If you offer that scholarship, it should be guaranteed. I saw, I saw two of one of my teammates, two of my teammates get cut in college hockey. Um, both of which you had full rides and that's just not fair. I truly do not think that's fair. It's your fault as a coach for recruiting poorly. And it was all based off of their play and them not being good enough. So the coaches recruited right. them. That's your, that's your fault. If you get in trouble with the law or you fail out of school or something like that, obviously there's consequences for your actions. But if, if there's nothing wrong, like I think the very least scholarship should definitely be, uh, uh you know, guaranteed, no doubt about it. Yeah, hey, listen, it's it's hard because you're trying to set a standard, right? You want to set a standard for your team, but you can't have a double standard, right? You can't have a standard for the guys that are good and then have another standard for guys that are you know? And, and oftentimes that's what happens. Um, I do believe that a coach should be able to determine who's on his roster. So, you know, hey, listen, if there's a kid that, that, that to me, cutting a kid and taking a scholarship are two different things, Right. Um, but, but there should be a process. So if, if, a, if a person, and, and it shouldn't just be, you're not good enough. Cause like you said, Jeff, right. And what I always believed was this, right. If a player failed, if a player failed in my program, I had, I was at least 50% to blame. Huh. Right. I was huh. at least 50% to blame. So, is there a standard? Are you communicating it correctly? Are you communicating it well? Okay. And then do you give them a second chance? You know, because kids deserve second chances. Do they understand what's being asked of them? And it can't just be they're not good enough. It's got to be, you know, listen, there were players that I kept that, that, that weren't as good as, as we thought they were going to be. And some of those guys probably aren't happy with me because they didn't play as much as they thought they should, right? But, but they were good in the classroom. They worked hard in the weight room. They helped our program in other areas. Don't be so narrow-minded to think that, that there's, a multi, there's a lot you can do for, for a program, right? And so I knew they might not be helping us on the ice as much as, as we would have liked them to for, the, for the, the, the amount of scholarship they were getting. But we could bring another player in, a, a walk-on that might help, you know, uh, to sort of offset that, right? But they were helping us in other areas, and I thought that was important too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, we've had you on here for quite some time, and, uh, but if you have one more question, do you have time for one more question? Sure. Yeah, okay. I do. Okay, cool. Um, you know, one of the things that you and I talk about um, and have talked about in the past, and, and I know is something that you're really, really uh, passionate about, and we've even talked about it a little bit uh, before on the podcast, but um, you're really, really into sports being an avenue to teach life lessons. And it's a topic that we talk about on the podcast. Um, it's a topic that I don't think gets talked about enough with the professionalization and um, just how crazy youth sports is nowadays. So I wanted to ask you about 
you know, we have, we have coaches that, that are youth coaches that listen to this podcast and even coaches that are of higher levels that listen to that I think would, would love to know what are, what are some tangible things, um, that you can do as a coach to really teach life lessons. Uh, and what are those life lessons that you think are really important that we can learn through sports? Because, um, again, you're an athlete until you're, if you're lucky, 24, 25, and then you have the rest of your life to be an employee, to be a dad, to be a mom, um, and, and all that kind of stuff. So what, what are some of the most important life lessons you think we learn through sports? And then on top of that, um, what are some things that you would do or coaches can do that are listening to, to help and, and try and instill that in the kids? So my, my daughter just got in the car, so she's sitting next to me, so I can say this loudly because she's probably <laughs> heard it more than once. Um, what I want for my daughters is I want them to have a good body image. I want them to respect themselves, and I want them to have a work ethic, right? I want them to have a work ethic. So guess what? Um, uh, being, being involved in athletics is a lifetime commitment, right? You don't have to play at the highest level. I still love skating because it gives me exercise, right? That's, that's really that's the first thing. It's, it's an exercise. Uh, so, so it's going to help you feel good about yourself. You get the endorphins going, okay? Uh, you know, self-respect. It's the ability, like you said, Jeff, to advocate for yourself. So, hey, you know, I had this happen with one of my daughters the other day. Uh, you know, she, she had an issue where, you know, she thought she wasn't sure if she made a mistake. And, you know, there, there was a little bit of a communication miss with the coach. Happens all the time. Happens with my guys. I said, well, listen. Go ask the coach what you can do, right? What, what can you do to be better? Coaches love hearing that. What can I do to be better, you know? And, and then the last part, just work ethic, I've found just in my own life. And as coaches, we've got to mirror this. It can't be a double standard, right? If you don't want your players to be late for meetings, don't be late for meetings, <laughs> right? Don't yeah. be late for meetings yourself. So you've got to you you've got to you know be a role model for that, um, and and just I just think in my lifetime that whenever I've had a, an issue or something that I struggled with, that if I, I put in the work, I, and I tell my guys this, I can't tell you when good things are going to happen for you, but my experience tells me it usually does, it usually does. So those are those are some things I think you can learn in life. Um, you know, there's just so much you can learn. Uh, you know, some of my best friends, um, so many of my best friends are, are former teammates um, or, or fellow athletes that I met in, in college, whether we played basketball or soccer. And we have similar uh, philosophies in life, you know. Um, so that's, that's some of it. I just think, you know, it's really important. Um, I'm a big book guy. And uh, if you haven't gotten it, there's a book called The Program by Eric Kapitulik. Um, he runs a, uh, he's a former Marine special forces platoon leader. He's a leadership development coach. And, and as he loves to say, you know, you need to, you need to set a standard, right? You need to have core values and your players need to know what they are. They can't just be up on the wall. And then you've got to be emblematic of it and you've got to hold your players to that same standard. And I think that, that that'll help you in sports. And that'll definitely help you in life. I love it. I love it. And Tof, that's one of the best questions I feel like you've ever asked. Like we, we talk about this stuff all the time and I just jotted a couple things down real quickly. I said, um, life lessons you can learn from sports, but especially hockey, um, responsibility, um, 
instilling work ethic and passion and what that means, learning that you can write your own story, like whatever you want, like you can go after it. Like in sports, you can be better and you will, that can translate to the working world, to family, things like that. Physical health, like he said, uh, learning to deal with and overcoming adversity, which I think is probably the most important thing why parents should put their children in sports. Cause no matter how good you are in sports, you're going to hit adversity. Connor McDavid, the best player in the NHL today, probably, or, or the most iconic right now, he, hits adversity every single day in practice and games. He's got to learn how to overcome it, things like that. And you're going to hit adversity in school, in life and relationships. It's going to teach you those things, uh, how to be part of a team, how to be, how to lead, how to follow, how to take your role and then try and expand on it, be as good as you can. Because if you're starting in the mailroom, you hear about it all the time back in the day. Oh, I started in the mailroom. Now I'm the CEO. Like we want to instill that mindset, that growth mindset in our players, which then will translate to life. Uh, you know, there's just a couple that, I mean, it's literally infinite, but it also is infinite. If you have a good coach who's got a developmental mindset, who wants to teach these things and not just yep. win hockey games at 11. So that's, that's gotta but it's be important not even, part of it. And going back to what coach was talking about, half of it is the teaching, but the other half of it, and probably even more is just doing it like modeling the way again if you're if if there are things that you have these core values and it's important to you you have to live it for the kids to have any chance of grasping what it is and and how to actually accomplish those things so the i mean if you can do all the team building you want as a coach and you can have the stuff up on the wall like you said and everything but unless you embody that and you actually live it literally every day then it's just it's dead air it's dead weight and it, and it doesn't mean much so as as coaches we can talk all we want about all this kind of stuff but unless you're doing it it, it really doesn't mean anything don't and be listen, the coaching, nutritionist yeah you know coaching and good parenting aren't aren't very dissimilar there's a lot of similarities and and listen it's for parents it's hard to watch your kids struggle it's hard like and we've programmed these kids from day one cap loves to tell the story right uh, a newborn zebra is up and running full speed in seven minutes after birth. You know why? Why? Because if they're not, if they're not a lion's going to eat it, right? <laughs> a, newborn, a newborn human child, when they want something, what do they do? Oh, they, they cry. cry. Yep, I'm into that right and now. What we, and, <laughs> and what do we do? We, we pick them up. We are programming them, Right. And so it's, it's against your human nature to, to, to watch your kids struggle and not try to clear the path. Happens to me all the time. I got to catch myself. It's okay for them to struggle. It's okay. Because when I'm not here, they're going to struggle and I'm not going to be there to help. And that's what sports can do a great job of. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing that kids can do are coworkers. And uh, I've heard you needed uh, a little bit of help with this, but I heard you you lose your keys quite a bit. I've heard from a reliable source that losing your keys and <laughs> maybe not knowing your passwords that's uh, that's something that uh, you know your players uh, and coaches. Yeah. And <laughs> it must it must get passed down. I worked for one of the best guys in, in all hockey and Don Cahoon, and uh, I just remember the first time I got he, he was my first paid job. I was making 15 grand and living in Princeton. Think about that, right? <laughs> I think I was living in a tenement house. And, and I was really nervous. And, and one of the guys that, um, that I, was, I was volunteering with at UMass, Bobby Durant, he played for two to BU. And he said, how much are you making? I said, 15 grand. He goes, oh, my goodness. 
you'll learn that just helping Toot find his keys. <laughs> and I, would, I would say, honestly, it was probably a wash. So um, I think when you, when you become a head coach and you get a little older, you know, the, the keys and the passwords and the cell phones, they, uh, they, 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 they grow legs. <laughs> that's funny I, th- my wife always kids me I'm the same way like she actually bought me this little key holder and was like I'm putting this right here for you and you just need to put your keys here every time you idiot um, but uh, coach it's always great talking to you um, very very awesome you conversation well, here and uh, we really appreciate all your insight we really appreciate uh, the kind of guy that you are as well um, miss seeing you around the rinks haven't seen you around the rinks in a long time but um, I'm sure we'll see each other again we only live an hour away so get get the well, chance listen, to get up there either you, <laughs> either you guys are, are in the same town whether you come to bingo or or uh, you know maybe we, we we're in Peoria uh, <laughs> let me know I would love to catch up and, and it's always a pleasure talking hockey with you guys you bet thanks coach we'll talk to you later Bye-bye. All right, bye.